So while you're doing that, I will endeavor to, uh, to give you a short message um, as well to go along with this today. Because since we are having our election, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about the election race that we are all running for. And we, we don't often think of it that way, but we are actually all running in an election. We're running for office. The moment we were baptized and received the Holy Spirit, we affirmed to the world and everybody present that we are running for the office of king and priest. We are running for that office. It's one of the highest, if not the highest. All right, we have a question. That's not correct. Okay, I guess there may be some confusion about my name on there since Steve uh, announced last week about becoming co-pastor with him in January. That's not now. So um, the way we decided to do it, and this may seem a little silly, we actually have to change our constitution to include some language that would cover um, the, the term co-pastor. And so we're going to be doing that. But in the, in the meantime... Um, I'm still on there for the election. So the only, the only outcome that would be really silly, um, you know, and of course everybody's free to do this, is that if I were not to be voted on and then I'm automatically on, and then we have 13 members, which we can't do according to our Constitution. So either way, come January, if I'm voted on here and I'm the co-pastor in January, we're still meeting the requirements of our Constitution, which is 12 members on the board. Okay? That clear as mud? <laughs> okay. All right, so as I said, we are uh, running for the highest office in the land to be a king and a priest. And that's a little unusual, isn't it? Because we don't really consider the concept of a monarch being elected into office. In fact, I really don't know of, of any other than, I think, one of the races in Star Wars, they elected a queen or something like that, but that's not real. I'm sorry for those of you that love Star Wars. That's just not real. So we don't really associate elections, right, and selecting individuals for an office of king or queen, for that matter. And in the biblical sense, not strictly this way for priest either. There is an election going on today but actually also, there's an election, of course, as we know, building up uh, here in, in, for our national elections that are coming up. But I'm going to make you jealous right now. Because in the UK, there's, there's been uh, campaigning going on for six weeks to elect a new government in the UK. This was a snap election called, as parliaments can do, they can have elections anytime. And so... This election, is, uh, this election process in the UK has taken only six weeks. All in favor? Uh-huh. Instead of like, what, two years? And all that money? I mean, unbelievable. That, uh, that's the benefits of a, a parliamentary system. It, of course, has some other other issues, too, because you can, you can run into a, a government situation where 
it becomes very unstable, right? And you can have hung parliaments, and you can, you can struggle with, with uh, governance in a country if you're not careful. But the British people will vote a new government in on December 12th, with all the fun and games of Brexit still uh, hanging in the air over there. The leader of the party that gains the most seats in the House of Commoners, or the House of Commons, will be invited by the Queen to form the new government. And that leader becomes the Prime Minister. This process is actually quite old. In its newer version, a newer is a relative term in, in English history, of course, um, it's go been going on in its kind of current version for about 300 years. That's the newer version. Parliament itself goes back almost 1,000 years, at least 800 years, in the idea that it's a representative body. And it's one of the oldest representative bodies in the world. And yet, throughout all of that history, throughout all of those selections, and they, <laughs> they were not always that the people got to vote, believe you me. But even by the time we reached true democracy and two representative elections, in all that time, nobody has ever voted for a king or a queen. Now, I suppose you could argue that when they lopped off Charles I's head, that was a vote of sorts, all right? That was very affirmative in the no category. And then I suppose you could say, well, when they brought King Charles II back and put him on the throne, that was an affirmative. We, we actually really hated the whole republic thing and we're going to go back to a monarchy that's what the British know best. But other than that, there's really no instance that I can think of of voting in a king or a queen into office. The office of king or queen is not considered an elective office. In fact, on the, on the, the inscription on the, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth II's coat of arms, it says, Duet Mondrat, God and my right, Nobody else has a right. I have the right. And maybe God has the right. There is no election in that process. The current UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, is Queen Elizabeth's 14th Prime Minister. Just think of that. Her first Prime Minister was Winston Churchill. Can you imagine? I remember hearing a quote one time when I think it was... Um, Oh, Tony Blair arrived at the palace after having won the, won the election, and the queen reminded him that her first prime minister was Winston Churchill, just in case you get any ideas. You've got to be as good as that guy. Kings and queens remain, don't they? Presidents, prime ministers, uh, congressmen, members of the house, Senate, whatever it may be, they come and go. The queen or the king remains. It is another office. It's a different kind of office. And not one that we normally think about in the way of elections. But in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, we find this encouragement. He says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Make your election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. 
For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into, ever, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now that word election, you might think, well, it's a strange way to say this. Is there an election? Was ballots hand out, uh, handed out for this? Well, no. In the Greek, it simply means a selection, if not a divine selection, a choosing, being chosen, or those who were chosen. It's much in the same vein as when we go to the polls today, though. There's not a lot of difference. It is about making a selection. A selection and an election are one and the same. And dare I say, if our candidates here on earth right, were maybe half as good as we, we wish they were, then maybe it would almost be like a divine election. But of course, we don't have that. Often, it's the opposite. But for us, what Peter tells us is clear. We are running for an office or a place in the kingdom of God. But you might say, well, he doesn't refer to the word running here. Okay. But Paul does. Paul talks about that we are running in a race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So, there is a race. And notice, what's the end of the race? What is the end of our race? Well, he says it's a crown. Now, the crown that he's referring to back in that time was very much the crown that you see, you know, the, the champions of the Olympics wearing. And, and you've had that in ancient times. And, and it's, it's something that's in, in many ways carried on today. But certainly in similar type of games that the winner is given a crown. And back then it was made of wild olive branches. A crown that is perishable. And it's perishable in more than one way, isn't it? Because you put that, that crown on there and hey, the champion, hail the champion. And maybe if it's an annual competition, you get to be the champion for a year. But the minute a new race is won by a new champion, the old champion, well, if they're nice, you're a former champion, aren't you? And that's the same true for, for today, isn't it? Our favorite football or soccer teams or Olympic athletes, they hold that title for a period of time, maybe a year, and then somebody else is crowned the champion. It's perishable. It doesn't last. Even those, and then, you know, if you think, think about it, you can take it a little further. Even those that are born into monarchy, right, like Queen Elizabeth today, she is the longest reigning monarch in British history. And even with that, you, if you see her today, I don't know if you saw the pictures of, uh, amongst all of those 
politicians at the NATO gathering as all these big, broad-shouldered men, and then this tiny little woman in the middle, right in the middle. And I think it's amazing that she's there, and it also you know, makes my heart sad that she's so frail and she's getting old. But even that head, right, gets old. Crown passes on to somebody else. It's perishable. That position of holding that crown in this world fades away. But for us, it is a crown of a completely different type altogether. And I don't know what it's made of. Is it made of gold? I don't know. Is it made of something else? I don't know. But that's not important. What, important, what is important about that crown is that it signals to the world that we have been selected, elected by a divine choice, a choice by one who enabled our royal ascension in the first place, a divine selection that has come on us, our royal coronation selected for us and by us. Notice we have some folks coming in late. We have some ballots for the election mark. Did you get one? And then we've also, if you think about it, we've been selected, right? We've been voted into this office. We look forward to that by the one himself who wore a crown. But not any old crown. A crown of thorns. He has made us able to wear the crown of his kingdom. That future crown that we will receive in the kingdom of, of Christ. Because our running in this election is only possible by the power of Christ Jesus that lives within us. And I suspect that when we have finished our race and we think we have run our race well and we, we have put all of our effort, like the Apostle Paul gives us that imagery, you know, that, that he has finished the race. When we look back, I think we'll realize that we were carried oftentimes as we ran this race. So we're all running in the race. We're all in this election race. And we're all running for the vote of two constituents. You realize that, right? You don't have to convince millions and millions of people to vote for you, which is a big relief. Only two. We only have to convince two to vote for us, right? And they're the ones that said, hey, why don't you put your name on the ballot? They're the ones that encouraged us to run this race. In fact, they are our campaign managers. They are running our campaign with us, working hard for us to win who've provided us with the campaign funds necessary to win, have supplied us with every opportunity to win. They have given us everything we need to win all of our debates, oftentimes with ourselves, but also with the world and the, the other mindset that the world pours onto us. These two 
the two that we need to convince to vote for us are championing us to win the race. They need no convincing because they know that we are the right ones for the job. They made the office for us. Remember what Jesus said? In my Father's house there are many offices. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for every single one of us, of you and me, to fill an office. Our sole constituents are completely and totally biased in their support for us. But there's one thing that can stop us. There's one thing that can stop us. And that's our opponent. Who do you think our opponent is? Is it Satan? The devil? The world? No. It's us. We're the only ones that can stop us. We are our own opponent. We're our own worst enemy, aren't we? Now the devil, he might be the campaign manager for our old self, for our old man or woman, but he is not our opponent. Our opponent is our old self, our old man and woman, as the Apostle Paul, as we know so uh, very much, in, said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 5, for if we've been crucified together in the likeness of, of his, of Jesus' death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died from Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he gives us this warning. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Don't let that old man, that old woman, come back into this. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We're not under the judgment of the law. Christ Jesus, we are under grace. That old man and woman should be completely put to death. They should not in any way be allowed to interfere with our election campaign. And yet, if we're not careful, if we are not careful, if we allow it to happen, that old opponent will come back up, right? And just as we've seen in politics, they will drag up an old scandal from our life and try and derail our election. Paul and Peter both tell us, don't let this happen. Make your election sure. 
And that's what Paul was trying to get us to concentrate on when he said, when he's trying to get us to understand that he doesn't run with uncertainty. He doesn't run like, okay, I don't know where the course is, and I'm running all over the place. And he doesn't just beat the air like a crazy guy. He is deliberate. He is running the race to win. Remember that term. Nobody runs a race to lose. We run to win. Bringing his body, his mind, his nature under control by perfect discipline. We have to control our nature. We have to control that what we have so that we can run in this election race. We have to train it. We have to subject it to methods, practices that yield the performance of an athlete. And maybe when we were all younger, we were better athletes. No, I was. But we can all still be athletes now in this election race that we're running. Before Peter told us that we were running for an election, earlier in the chapter he said this. In Second Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, he said, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ by his divine power, has given, us, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that phrase right there. If these things be yours. He didn't say, if these things be something you do. He didn't say they are something that you practice or try to appear to. He said, if they are yours. These characteristics are something we can own. They are the muscles and the sinews. They are the energy and the life force in us as we run this race. They are the things that we use to get to the finish line. They are tools and methods by which we get there. He says, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. We've forgotten those things. We don't even know what direction we're running in. Why are we here? What are we running in this race for? Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance, so, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nobody becomes an Olympic champion by dreaming about it and showing up at the finals, right? 
right there and walk onto the track. Hey, what, what is that guy doing? Nobody does that. We have to train. We have to put in the effort. And we have to envision ourselves, perhaps, winning that crown. That is our focus. That is our goal. But we don't just walk on without doing any preparation, without readying ourselves, preparing ourselves for this race. It's the same principles that Paul was telling us to add into ourselves. Only Peter lists them out here. He says, great, you have faith. All right, you've got faith. This is excellent. You're on the starting block. That's where faith gets you. You get to start. And then he goes on, and he says, you've got to get something else. Faith gets you to the starting blocks, gets your name on the ballot. What comes next determines if you win. He says, add to that faith virtue, high moral standards, goodness. High moral standards and goodness. And add to that virtue then. Okay, we've added that. Now we add knowledge. Knowledge is understanding. How do we gain understanding? By the word. By the word of God. It comes from learning and incorporating what we learn. Okay? We've got knowledge now. We know how to run. We know where we're running to. Now we need to add self to not be driven by childish emotions or desires. Anybody there yet? A little tricky. Self-control. And then to self-control, perseverance, steadfastness, endurance. Races and elections are long, but we have to endure. Are we just prone to just saying this? I'm not getting much out of this. I'm, I'm putting more effort. I'm putting more effort into my church life, my Christian walk, than I'm getting out of this. Yeah. How races work. You have to put in the effort, don't you? You have to run against the wind and feel the rush of the air going against you, the pressure you are cutting through an atmosphere and it's thick <laughs> and the longer you run and the more you run the more tired you are and the heavier each footstep feels perseverance endurance steadfastness we have to add that into our walk and into this election race that we're in then once we've persevered we need to add godliness to be devout, devoted, is what that means, to God and our Savior, devoted to them. Then we add brotherly kindness. Philadelphia, a deep and lasting and enduring love for one another, for our fellow man, not just in the church, not just in our family, in the world, the people that we just don't like, and that's hard. But we have to add that in, that brotherly love. 
and to brotherly love, kindness. And the word in the Greek there is agarpe. It is that love that trans transforms everything, that highest godly love that enables us to endure hardships, the love that will sacrifice everything for our beloved, the love that will carry us through to the very end of the race. How do we do this? How do we add these things? Well, we start right here in church family with sermons of moral instruction, with songs of virtue and goodness. And then we open the words of the Bible daily and add to that knowledge. Add to that virtue, knowledge, and understanding. And with that understanding, we can maybe gain some self-control. We can gain some control over our life, some direction over our life, know how to run and where we are running to. Learning from the mistakes of others and the examples of others in God's word. And that's just, if I could learn all my mistakes there and not have to have any of my own, wouldn't that be great? Probably is available to us if we read the word more than we do. Then we'll start to improve our stamina because we will have endurance for the rest of the race ahead. And I was mentioning this to my wife this morning, and she said, you know, it's kind of like when you see the long-distance runners, right, and they're in the marathons and so on, and they come up to a table or a group of people gathered holding out cups of water or bottles of water, and they're grabbing some virtue as they go. And they're grabbing some endurance and some understanding, some knowledge, grabbing this, this water that helps to refresh them and enables them to keep running in that race. That's what each, thing, each, each of these things are. As we run in this election race, we scoop up another cup of water or another principle by which we can run by. So, after collecting the cup of perseverance, we keep running to the next table and that godliness, devotion, devotion to the one who has enabled us to run, who is our support team, who is, in fact, running right next to us as a pace setter, telling us we can get there in this election race. And then by working together in this church, in this community, we can exercise brotherly kindness. And finally, at the end of the race, when we can see it, when we can see the end of the race coming, all of these principles, all these principles that we've incorporated converge into that agape love, the love for our Savior, for our God, who has called us into this race and waits at the finish line for us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, that love never fails. If we are fueled by that love, we will never fail. We are carried along in our race by that love for him and his love for us. If we do these things, as Peter has told us, we shall make our call and election sure. 
the ballots will be counted, and only two constituents that matter, the only two constituents that matter in the whole universe will vote. And their vote outweighs your vote. Their vote outweighs the vote of doubt and the vote of self-accusation that is in our minds. Their vote outweighs our vote. And they will vote yay. Yay for us to be elected kings and priests in Christ Jesus. And as anyone who knows the stories and can attest, once a king and priest, always as an eternal crown, imperishable. It will not pass away. Let us all continue together to make our call and election sure. And then we will all meet at that finish line.